You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And there goes the familiar music that tells us it's time to welcome Howard Parkin into the studio for this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night. Faster my, Howard. Faster my, Judith. It's great to be here again. Well, a special, special word of thanks for coming in because I know that you've been travelling yes. and you've only had about uh, two and three quarter hours to adjust to Manx time. And Absolutely. Long way, you know. It's, <laughs> it's been, well, not just from Onken. It's, no, you've no. been a bit further than that, <laughs> a bit haven't further you? Than that, yeah. but, uh, but, Howard, thank you for coming in. No, and and uh, as always, as always, a uh, game of two halves. First of all, we're looking at our local skies. And then, as always, there will be space news to catch up on. And I'm not saying anything about that story that was circulating in the news this week about UFOs. Oh, we're not a going to bunk. <laughs> well, it's a headline grabber, isn't it? Uh, exactly. That's what it's all about. The media, media always wants stories which uh, excite people and... Um, it was a non-event, really. I mean, nothing came out of it that was of any consequence. We're talking about the uh, uh, mention by the um, press of the disclosure of the UFO reports from the United States all those years ago. And uh, they didn't tell us anything. I keep telling people, a UFO is exactly what it says on the tin. It's a flying object that is unidentified. And and, um, and as we hint at every week, there is still so much that we don't know. Exactly. The there's more so we discover... Atmospheric the, phenomena, um, astronomical phenomena, there's all sorts of things going on. And uh, it's sometimes we, we leap onto this. I've just given a lecture on the, the cruise I was on about Mars and how the whole obsession with Mars, which we still have today, all started when a chap called Schiaparelli said there were canals on Mars. He didn't. He said he was seeing channels on the surface. That's all he saw. <laughs> and that's it. There's canals, there's Martians, they're little green men, and they're going to come and attack us. And the whole thing grew from that moment but, in 1861, it was. But, but, but you know, there you go, back back 1861, and somebody mishears something. Yeah. And, and off they go that's with them. Um, it's still there to this day. There's still this thing about Mars. I get asked all the time, are the Martians? Do we believe in little green men, Mr. Parkin? No, well, well, not green. Let's move, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. I would hate you to go out to the car park and find somebody leaning up against the car with a little television aerial on his head. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> right. So, Venus. We're losing Venus. Yes, we've practically lost it now. I mean, over the last few months, the amount of people who've said, what's that very bright object in the sky above Peel? It was the planet Venus. And it's been absolutely fantastic i know the weather hasn't been so good in the last few weeks or so but tt may time even april venus was dominating our sky and was a magnificent sight and uh, i had great pleasure in trying to find it as long as i could and i managed to spot it about 10 days ago uh, with the naked eye just above the um, horizon after the sun had gone down and uh, compared to as it was you know, long before that but what's happened is venus is now passing between the earth and the sun uh, it will actually go just below the sun on the 13th of August and then it'll re-emerge in our morning sky and it will re-emerge quite quickly and we'll be seeing it back in the morning sky from about mid-September onwards and then it'll be in the morning sky right through till after Christmas and then the whole process will be reversed again as Venus goes around the back of the sun and reappears in our evening, reappears in our evening skies for the middle of next year onwards. It seems to me that Venus is one of the planets that we see that's around for the longest. 
Yes, because it's so bright and you see it in broad daylight. Well, not broad daylight, but you certainly see it um, near the sunrise, near, near the sunset and the sunrise in the morning and the evening sky. And as a consequence, it's, it's unmissable. It's so very, very bright. The other planet that shines with almost as much brightness is the planet Jupiter. And only today someone said to me, what's that bright planet or that bright object in the morning sky? That's Jupiter. And Jupiter and Venus between them, they are unmistakable because they're so very big and they're so very bright. Not necessarily, I'll rephrase that. Venus isn't necessarily big. It's about the same size as the Earth. Jupiter, much further away, but much, much bigger. And th these two shine at a magnitude of... We've talked about the magnitude scale before, about a minus two, minus four, uh, which is brighter than any star in the sky, which is why they dominate so much. So we, we've got the conjunction, then we've got that change from, from yeah, about more, the middle more, of next month. From the evening star through to the morning star. Now, something else that we're going to be able to see, conditions permitting, the summer triangle. Yeah, tell, us, tell us about that. This Howard. is a good one because I've just been uh, away and... Um, Trying to do stargazing this time of year is very difficult because the sky is so light and I was further north. In fact, seeing it dark at the moment is a treat because I was in Iceland and uh, it was just not dark at all. Um, so coming home and finding the skies dark at about 11 o'clock at night was quite a treat. But even, even from places like Norway and Iceland where I've been is a place where you, your sky doesn't get dark, but when you let it get a little bit dark, when the sun is well below the horizon, yet the first stars that come out this time of year are the three stars of the summer triangle. And that's always, to me, as an astronomer, a challenge to try and find those three. There's three stars, and they, they dominate the evening sky. You can't mistake them once it starts to go a little bit dark. And they're quite big. I mean, halfway up the sky from the roughly about 20 degrees up the lowest one to about 40, 50 degrees up the highest one. And they really shine this beautiful equilateral triangle made up of the three stars of Vega, Deneb and Aquila, uh, Alter, sorry, and Aquila the Eagle. Well worth looking for. And when you've seen those three, well, once you can see them, you can start to see other things coming out as the start, the nights start to get a bit darker. Yeah. Well, yes, you've said the word now, and I hate to say this, but the, the, the nights are noticeably drawing in, aren't Definitely. they? As I say, I noticed it because I've been away and uh, I've come back now and uh, end of June it was beautiful evenings and it was not dark it was well it was dark about midnight but uh, it was noticeably light right through till about 11 o'clock and venus dominating the sky as i mentioned earlier but now of course uh, about 10 o'clock it's, it's noticeably dark tonight it's practically pitch black i know we have tinted windows here at manx radio but it's practically pitch black out there now yeah mind you with with us being so so much uh, hill fog about i think that oh, yeah, that kind it does of help, doesn't help yeah filthy night but we won't let mr pearson get away with this what oh, will we see oh. in the night sky clouds and that's it that's the whole contribution to the program he said he's now, going to get stick when i see him i next. know i know that that i could tell that was going to be oh, I, 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 that. I knew he was on dangerous ground very dangerous ground. let's move on quickly let's <laughs> move better have. Be, be brave about it once in a very blue moon is yes. once in a blue moon it's a phrase isn't it it is a phrase it's, but it has got proper foundation it hasn't has it indeed i mean the official phrase for a blue moon is when you get four moons in three months. In a three-month period, you get four moons. Then the fourth one is a blue moon. Now, that has been corrupted over the years now, and now we've, we've decided unofficially that a, the term blue moon refers to when you get two full moons in one month. And guess what? Month, the month of August 2023, we have two full moons. We have a full moon at half past seven on the 1st of August, on Tuesday, and we have another full moon on the 31st, at, I'm not sure, sure of the exact time, I haven't got that written down here, but we have a second 
blue moon or a second full moon in August, which is deemed a full moon. But for all you um, star watchers out there, it's not just a blue moon. It's a super moon. So it's a full super blue moon. <laughs> and it won't be blue. It'll be red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> now, now you're getting me confused. <laughs> I, quite seriously, um, the term super moon, of course, refers to the fact that the moon is slightly nearer to us. When the moon is what we call perigee, closest to the Earth, peri near G Earth, uh, when it is slightly nearer to the Earth than it normally is, then it does appear slightly bigger. So the term uh, supermoon is given when it's within 90 degrees of perigee uh, at full moon. Or new moon, in fact, is the same term is used for that. Um, but that's what we've got this year. So look out for that. Beautiful, hopefully, full moon in a couple of days' time. And then just about 28 days later, we've got another one coming along at the end of August. So what did you mean when you said, and it's going to be red? Well, because this time of the year, because the, the location of the moon on its orbit, the moon doesn't get high above the horizon. It, it, it sort of glides above the horizon, doesn't get particularly high above the horizon. Now, we've all seen the red sunset. We've all seen full moons rising red colour. Well, the moon will be exactly the same as it normally is. It'll be reddish in colour as it rises. And it doesn't get that far from the horizon. So it's going to be reddy orange or yellowy colour all the way through. And, and as it sets, it'll go red again. So... As I say, it's going to be a super blue, super moon, a blue moon, but it's going to be red. <laughs> only Howard, only, <laughs> only Howard could produce that for us. So, are we right in in using the phrase "once in a blue moon" to indicate something that happens very rarely, or is it not that rare? It's it's not that rare. It happens at least once a year because um, we get thirteen full moons in a year. So, therefore, mm. by definition, you're always going to get one month will have two full moons in it. Um, so. Annually, I suppose you could say annually. Once in a blue moon, it means annually, really. But uh, yeah, it's 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 nice that we've got these expressions. And when you look back historically as to why the expression even came into being, it's because people are aware of the sky, people are aware of the heavens. I often talk about the mythology of the constellations and all this sort of stuff. And there is so much ancient observational evidence that people were stargazers, were looking at the sky all those years ago. And let's face it, it's only in the last hundred. 200 years or so that we've been far more obsessed with books, televisions and videos and all the rest. Um, up until then, the sky was a great form of entertainment and a great source of um, stories and myths and everything else. I have to say that although I know from talking to you that they're all myths, I do love the romantic stories oh, that yes. they that they work about the Milky Way and, and, and all the different planets That's and right. all the rest of it. I, I do think, I know it, it's not, it, it's, it is mythology, but it is... There's something that is very... There's a germ. There's a germ of something real in that. I mean, we I could go on at length about the different myth, myths and how there's a germ of truth in some of them. But lots of them have got some truth in them. Mm. And people often say to me, um, quite often, oh, how on earth do you see that as a bear? It looks nothing like a bear. Well, we're just as bad. We have. I've just told you about the summer triangle. That triangle is a modern invention, if you like. It's not that modern, but it's a it's a feature of the sky that we use a convenient shape to describe it. So our constellations are the summer triangle, or the square of Pegasus, or the winter hexagon, uh, or the circlet of Pisces. We have all these features in the sky that have common names. These are, these are what we call asterisms. It's not a constellation, it's an asterism. When you join together different stars to make a shape that is more familiar to us, that's called an asterism, unlike the 88 constellations, which were born with the mythology and all the rest from the ancient times. So there is always, always something to add to the vocabulary, isn't oh, there? Always, There's always. always another one. Now, um, Jupiter. 
Yeah, as I just mentioned, Jupiter is now um, taking over from Venus as the dominant planet visible in our skies and quite easy to spot. It rises about 11 o'clock at night. It's, it's in the constellation of Aquarius at the moment and then it's very quickly going to move into the constellation of Taurus. And Taurus is one of the, the leading constellations that we get in the winter months. And so if you're stargazing about two, three o'clock in the morning, you'll see the stars of Taurus rising, which is a pure, an indicator that the winter is not far away. And Jupiter is going to be gliding through the stars of the Pleiades star cluster, another great place for legends, and um, the, the Hades star cluster as well in, in Taurus. Taurus is, of course, next door to Orion. Orion is that one that dominates our skies in the winter. And um, Jupiter's dominating that part of the sky just at the moment. Now, the Persid meteor showers are something that we well, often mention, but you're reckoning that we've got something quite dramatic coming along. Well, we have, because the Persid meteor shower, there's always two great meteor showers each year. You've got the Persids and the Geminids. The Persids in August, Geminids in December. But this year, as I've just been saying, the full moon is on the 1st and the 29th. Therefore, middle of August, 12th of August, no moon around whatsoever. Possibly good weather, we can hope. Well worth a look. I've said this every year I say this on the show, Judith. If it's a clear night on the 12th of August and you go outside around midnight, give your eyes 20 minutes or so to get used to the dark. Look towards the eastern sky, the southeastern part of the sky. I will guarantee you'll see at least one meteor. We hope to see about 80 in an hour. So mm. there's a very good chance. Goodness. Never been let down yet by the Persids. The last really good Persid shower we had was 2015. And uh, that was another moonless one when we had no moon interfering. And I remember sitting in my back garden and uh, just seeing meteor after meteor after meteor. It really was quite dramatic. And this year, it's slightly going to be even better because there's some evidence that there's a clump of material. Without boring with too much of the details, um, the meteor shower is formed when a passing comet that has ceased um, to be called Swift Tuttle um, has left this debris in its wake, if you like, and the Earth passes through that that, that material, and there's thought to be a clump, clump or a cluster of material um, that the Earth is going to pass through, and that's going to give us a, a more dramatic show than we we'd previously hoped for. So, um, no danger; it's not going to cause meteoric impacts and wipe out dinosaurs or anything silly. And um, we're looking at things that are no bigger than the size of a walnut or a peanut uh, that literally will completely burn up in our Earth's atmosphere and we're seeing them burn up in the atmosphere uh, that's what we see and uh, they're well worth looking for and i promise you on the 12th of august if it's clear go outside and have a look you will not be disappointed howard let's take a little break there let's have some music and then let's go and explore the world of space together indeed and it's very appropriately good morning starshine Song. 
I'm sorry, Oliver, but we're going to fade that music down now because we've got a couple of people joining in the programme. We love to hear from a listener. John, thank you very much indeed for getting in touch. And uh, John says, I firmly believe in flying saucers. My wife throws them when I come home late from the pub. I love it. I love it. John, thank you very much for that. (laughs) Very best wishes to you, John. Take care now. And uh, Diesel has a question for you, Howard. And uh, Diesel says, would you please ask the star man if it's true that the moon is the same width as Australia? No, it's not. It's smaller. If we're looking at the actual diameter of the moon, we're roughly about 2,160 miles. If you look at the size of Australia from west to east, it's about 2,500 miles. So Australia as a continent is wider than the moon is as a diameter. It's a bit false because you've got a sphere. And, I mean, the moon, if you spread it out into a cartographic projection, of course, it'd be bigger. But actually, to compare the two side by side, if you like, Australia's bigger than the moon. But not a lot in it. No, there? no. It's about 4,000 miles, 400 miles, sorry, difference in it. Which so, uh, is, when you're talking about thousands, is not, exactly, not very big. So pretty close. It's pretty close. It just shows you how big Australia is. Indeed it does. And how big the moon is. And how big the moon is, of course. Equally. So, uh, Diesel, thank you very much indeed for that. And thank you also to John. It's great when people join in, isn't it, Howard? We like that. We love it when we get questions. Please keep them coming. We like that. Especially if Um, we do them in the break. uh, They send them in the break, we can answer them this half. During the music break, that that works really well. But if you think of something, or if you think of something you'd like Howard to talk about in a future programme, mm-hmm. for example, the one at the end of August, you can email Howard at any time, Howard Parkin at Manx.net, yeah. Howard Parkin at Manx.net. Happy you can to do so, and I, I love doing questions. I, I get some great questions, and uh, can't always give you the answers, but usually we can look them up, if nothing else. Well, you, you're very good at saying, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it could be. So <laughs> I've always that, got an opinion. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, that's what we want. Right, okay. So, moving on. Um, renaming. Uh, there's a renaming ceremony this yes. week. That's, that's very important, I've isn't it? I've put this in the beginning of this section because I really wanted to mention it because we're so honoured and pleased that um, James Martin's widow, Shirley, uh, has agreed that we can rename the Isle of Man Astronomical Society's observatory the James Martin Observatory. Uh, we announced this some months ago now. We finally got it all sorted out. And at our monthly meeting, which takes place this Thursday, to which members are invited, uh, guests can come along as well if they wish. 
Um, but there will be quite a poignant ceremony when we actually have Shirley unveil the plaque, which is naming the observatory as forevermore going to be known as the James Martin Observatory. And um, I was there this morning, actually. I went there to make sure everything was OK for, for Thursday. And um, it's looking great. I've seen the plaque and they were ready to have Shirley unveil it. And it should be quite a... A moving moment because James did so much for the society over the years since we've been founded since 1989. Um, there was no contest, there was no debate about it when we suggested naming it, it after him. Uh, we all agreed. And what we like is we're going to call it the JMO, which is NASA speak. You always, you always use initials. So we have the JWST and the HST. Well, now we're going to have the JMO, the James Martin Observatory. Well, He'll be up there looking at us saying, uh, I didn't want it naming after me, but it looks good. Well, I'm sure it will be, as you say, a very poignant moment. But I know that this is something that's been tremendously important to you personally, Howard. Certainly has. uh, It's a tribute to James and... uh I'm really pleased we could do it. I mean, we wish he was still with us. We were saying this morning when we were at the observatory, some of us, uh, how we miss him. We miss his input and all. He knew so much about the the whole topic of the subject of the observatory. And uh, he's he's missed, but at least his name will live on at the premises. And the lovely thing is that people will come, they'll see that plaque, Mm. and they will ask who he is. Exactly. And then it'll give you an opportunity to talk about him, about his legacy. And that's how the memory lives on. That's what we want to do. It's a legacy. It's, It's a legacy, as you're quite right. We wish you a very, very successful night on on Thursday night. Now, I don't understand this SpaceX. SpaceX water test. Well, what's a water test? Well, it's a long story. And how does it relate to space? Well, what SpaceX did in April, they launched their brand new rocket, their super duper rocket that launched. And uh, it got so far up and then they had to destroy it because it was it was successful in that it, it, it proved the system worked. Um, they didn't quite keep as much control of it as they wanted, so they had to destroy it uh, to avoid it causing any problems. But when it took off, it practically destroyed the launch pad. And um, the power of the rocket it was so vast. I mean, twice the power of a Saturn V they used to take him to the moon. Uh, and this launch pad, um, they weren't... It, they're now saying that they didn't think the pad would be destroyed, but it might have had some damage. It blew a crater in the thing. It was absolutely amazing. So what they've done now, they've installed this water device. Imagine a big flat plate and you blast water at it at huge pressure. And this spreads water out in a huge gush of water at high pressure. Um, so basically, as the rocket's taking off, the um, the water's keeping the temperature down and the, the, the sonic forces down and then um, they tested it a couple of days ago and it's a wonderful video and then um, they're now going to use that when they launch the next one which is hopefully going to be in another month or two's time and um, this is spacex for you they do things by the seat of the pants they uh, they they don't necessarily test it to the nth degree and then do it they they'll test by doing it and learning from their mistakes and they've, they've done very well so far i mean people laughed years ago when they said they're going to bring back the first stage of their rockets and land them on a barge in the ocean what a load of rubbish. They've done it now over 100 times. Amazing. And they've, 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 they've sent the same rockets into space on numerous occasions, saving a lot of money, proving the technology, and, of course, taking us one step further forward to uh, our uh, quest to go into space. Well, th- there is so much activity. It, it is, it's a job to keep up with, it, it as is. we always say. I but, have, every month but, I have to make a list, and but I, there are, I'm amazed how many things I keep finding. Well, if we look uh, at, at the things that you want to talk about, but bearing in mind that we've got that, you know, that we, oh, three minutes we, we, left. we've got a clock, <laughs> we've got a clock ticking. What do what do you think is the most important? Well, the one space that stands story? out, the one that stands out from the list of things we we we, we 
discussed earlier. Um, the James Webb Space Telescope has just completed 12 months of its science operations since it was launched in December 21. It's now been working for a full 12 months since July and it's just sent back some spectacular pictures. Yeah, they've sent about a, a picture in particular of a star called, uh, an area of the sky called Rho Ophiuchid. Uh, it's in the constellation of Ophiuchus and it's the star Rho which is nearest to it. And this pictures of stars literally in the process of being born. These clouds, these stardusts and clouds and everything else it's a wonderful photograph showing a nursery, a stellar nursery, if you like. And it's just breathtaking. It just shows the power this telescope is. And it's, it's sending us back more and more images. It, we were talking about volcanoes earlier. It sent us back a picture. It's not a particularly good picture in that you can't see much out of it, but it's showing an eruption from the moon Enceladus around Saturn, which previously we've only been able to see from spacecraft in orbit around Saturn. This telescope is going to give us so much more information and ask us so many more questions. It really is most impressive. And I could not not mention that one. But but that's just it. It's going to ask you so many more questions. Exactly. It'll, there'll be so many things. I mean, when you talk about the birth of a star, if stars can continue to be born, well, how much more is going on up there? Exactly. That, well, stars are born, stars are die all the time. It's just the scale of it is just astro- is astronomical, I was going to say. <laughs> There's another great picture from the James Webb Telescope of a ga- galaxy called the M- Myrtle Galaxy, I think it is from the top of my mind. And that was formed about 300 million years after the Big Bang. Now, 300 million years sounds like a long time, but when you consider the universe is 13.7 billion years old, we're looking at about 3% of the age of the universe this galaxy was born. It's completely completely rewritten all the textbooks because we thought galaxies didn't form until later. But this galaxy they've now discovered was formed literally at the birth of the, uh, the universe, uh, literally within 2% of the birth of the universe. So that's um, another fantastic image that the James Webb has sent us. And again, it's got the astronomers and the astrophysicists scurrying for their textbooks and coming up with new theories. Well, it was certainly worth all the time and the trouble and oh, the technology that they took to get the thing there and get it, it into place and, and, it's and working. it's proving to be extremely successful already and uh, we're delighted and look forward to more images as we, we go through the coming years. Give us one more space Great. story. One be- really good story because this is one to just get people thinking about. We know when we look up in the sky, we can only see 4% of it. We only see 4% of the universe. The other 96% is made up of what we call dark energy and dark matter. We know what these things are because they, 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 they exist in the universe and they make the universe work, the mechanics of it and all the rest. So a spacecraft was launched on the 1st of July called Euclid, named after the great philosopher from ancient Greek times. And this is going to map the sky and find out where this dark material is. Not by looking at it because you can't see it because it's dark. You're going to look at the gravitational effects on things behind it. And in doing so, it's going to give us a greater understanding of one of the greatest enigmas of astrophysics, which is just what is the missing mass, the missing energy? Is this what propels the universe? Is it formed in black holes? The stuff is breathtaking and there's so much to ask about and uh, it's a great one to leave it with. To be continued. As always, Howard Parkin, it is fascinating to talk to you and you will be back final Sunday in August Indeed. with another edition of The Manx Sky at Night. Faster my Howard Parkin. Faster my Judith. Mm-hmm.